0: Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. How are you doing? You good? Yeah? Yeah? Good? Good? It's good to have you Uh, We are in a series called Practicing, and we are looking at six core practices that we believe, as followers of Jesus, we just want to kind of circle back to, things that open us up. Uh, I talked about last week, they're not performances, we're not performing for God, but we're practicing, we're living out our faith. Uh, Jesus says by the end of the Sermon on the Mount to hear his words and put them into practice. And that's what we want to do. We want to actually have have a faith and a life that is... Embodied. Hebrews chapter 4 says this The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I was a scripture teacher for a long time in a local high school in Narara Valley. And I took thousands of students through scripture classes. And I remember one conversation I had that was kind of emblematic of lots of conversations I would have. One guy asked me, have you read the whole Bible? And I, go, I have a Bible in front of me and me see how large it is. And they go, have you read it all? I said, yeah, I've read it a few times, I think. In, in fact, I endeavor to read a little bit of it every single day. Like, that's my goal. And he was just like, why would you do that? Why? And it's a pretty good question, right? Why would you commit to reading one book, a little piece of it, every day for the rest of your life? Even the um, most enthusiastic Harry Potter fan or Shakespeare fan, like, wouldn't, wouldn't commit to reading a little passage every day for the rest of their life or gathering every week with other enthusiasts to hear a little talk on a passage of Harry Potter or whatever it is. Yet, there are two billion Christians across the face of the planet. There have been Christians all through history that have committed to this practice of reading Scripture on a daily basis and then gathering with other Christians to hear a portion of it read and explained. It's a pretty weird practice, actually. And there's no other um, arena where we study not only just a little book, but a book that was written thousands of years ago. Like, it's, it is actually pretty weird. And so I want to get to the heart of that question today. Why would billions of Christians commit to reading Scripture every day? Why would I commit to reading Scripture every day. Like I said, we're in a practicing series. The six practices are prayer, scripture, Sabbath, hospitality, serving, and generosity. These are the things that we just want to continue to circle back, and spaces that create space create a a container for what God is doing in our life. We always want to open ourselves up to the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit that brings transformation. Last week, I talked about that we actually can live into more love and joy and peace. That is the call of Jesus. Not just salvation for, for some place we go when we die, but actually an experience of becoming a more loving person, a more joyful person, and a more peaceful person. But that requires us to actually live out our faith, to practice our faith, actually for it to embody itself in our calendar, in our weeks, with our finances, with our time, with our energy. And we need help with that. We need practices. And these are practices from Scripture and all through tradition that have helped Christians create space for that transformation to happen. So we talked about Sabbath a couple of weeks ago. We had Nick Kassah here, prayer last week, and I want to hit Scripture this morning. I want to put to you that there are three phases, three ways to read Scripture that actually help us as followers of Jesus. Three approaches to Scripture. We need all three, but we need to move through all three of them. And then I want to land and tell you why I think Uh, we should be called to reading Scripture and opening up the Bible. The first one, the first reading of Scripture is a literal reading of Scripture where you would open the Bible and you just see what it says, you'd read it, and then you'd try and put it into practice. There's something really beautiful about this, a, a kind of a faith that whatever's written is actually to be practiced. And Jesus said this, I alluded to it earlier, that he said, whoever hears my words and puts it into practice will be like the man who built his house on a solid foundation. And I think there are definitely parts of Scripture that we need to take literally. I think Jesus' call to forgive one another is not figurative, it's literal. His call to love our enemies is not a metaphor, I think it's literal. We're actually to love our enemies. Um, The call to be baptized, I think, is a literal call to go in the water and out of the water. And so there are things about Scripture that we actually should take literally. We should read it and obey it, absolutely. But I think there is a phase beyond this. You often find um, a a more fundamental uh, or super conservative sect of Christianity will only stay in this phase. Like they just think this is the word of God. Have you heard the phrase, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it? I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that's kind of this, this phrase. The Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it, that's what it means. And there's something beautiful about that. But the problem is when you actually begin to read the Bible, you find it hard to put a lot of stuff literally into practice. For example... Proverbs 26, uh, verse 4 says, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools. So be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. Then the very next verse says this, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. So one verse says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools. The next one says, answer the foolish argument of fools. Which one is it? If you're trying to read the Bible and just put it into practice, which one do you do? What do you do in that circumstance? Or what about this verse, Mark chapter 16? It says this, They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll place their hands on their sick, and they'll be healed. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety, and they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. How do you put that literally into practice? I knew a doctor once who worked in the southern states of the U.S., and in the particular town he was working in, he was working in a hospital, on Sundays, there would be a higher rate of people coming in because they've ingested poison or they'd handle snakes because there were these wonderful people trying to put the Word of God into practice. They were doing it in their church. And there's something beautiful about that, but when you actually try and do this, it is pretty hard to do. There's a phrase that I thought was awesome. When I was a teenager, when I first read this phrase, um, I thought this is, this is brilliant because I can finally understand what this stupid book is. And it says this, basic, B-I-B-L-E, Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. I thought, that is great. Now I know what this thing is. And it's really nice until you start reading the Bible and you realize that the Bible is anything but basic. It is a complex book. It is huge. It's, it's, uh, it, it's just so hard to read. If you've ever tried to read the Bible from front to back, you will find that it is not a basic book. Instruction, Well, very little of of it is instruction. Uh, Most of it is actually story and poetry. Stuff that you can't actually put into practice straight away. And this is the the part that I I hate the most. Before leaving Earth, this I think is one of the great um, blemishes on evangelical theology is that we think, or people have historically thought that Christianity is about a ticket into heaven, Jesus is my ticket into heaven to get out of this place. That earth is just kind of a proving ground for me to work out whether I pass the test to get to heaven or not. But if you read the Bible, it's not about that at all. It is about the recreation of heaven and earth, this place, this earth, the very, the very stuff beneath our feet, our bodies, our souls, that uh, the whole story of Scripture starts with heaven and earth together ripped apart by sin, and then Jesus bringing it together and ultimately, Revelation 21, the heavenly city coming down to earth, this remarriage of heaven and earth. And so, don't read that. That's, that sucks. It's, it's hard. And it's confusing. It sounds great, but then you actually read the Bible and it's not like that. We need to move through the literal phase to the analytical phase. This is the second one. To read the Bible, not just literally, it's important to read it literally, but to, li- to read it literarily, to understand that it is a piece of literature. The Bible is actually a collection of books. It's not one book. It's 66 books. It's a library. You imagine walking into a library, and there'll be different sections for different types of books, right? And so understanding the genre of what you're reading when you're reading it is really important because you read narrative very different to you read a cookbook, right? Except for, you know, one of the things I hate when you're looking up a recipe Everyone knows this. You're looking for a recipe online and you go to the thing and then you just have to read the person's life story forever till you get to the actual recipe. I hate that. Anyway, um, genre genre is really important. Uh, So like I said before, 43% of the Bible is narrative. It's story. And it's not necessarily prescriptive. It's not prescribing what you should do. It's describing what happened. And so it's really hard to take that literally and put it into practice. There's stuff we can learn, obviously. Um, 33% of it is poetry a whole third of the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, there's um, poems and songs, and the same thing. It's very hard to read poetry literally. And then the last 24% is prose or discourse. It's kind of like the letters from Paul. There's kind of essays. It's communication between two people. And even within those, there is metaphorical language, there's all sorts of poems going on, there's references to other things, and so it's really hard even just to read those sometimes as plain, uh, literal things to put into practice. Of course, there is that within there. We need to understand that there is genre. When you look into a library, there's all these different genres. We need to understand the Bible is translated. So there are three ancient languages that the Bible is written in, the original text, Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And it is a tough job to translate one language to another. Even one modern language to another modern language is really hard. When Mel and I were in Japan, uh, it was our wedding anniversary, and we were going to this epic ramen restaurant, because I love ramen, and we walked all the way there through the streets of Tokyo, and we got to the ramen restaurant, and it was closed. And so we're like, oh, that sucks. What are we going to do? So we're roaming the streets, the back streets of some obscure neighborhood in Tokyo, and you find this old cool, sort of half cool looking chicken shop. And so, all right, we're going to the chicken shop and we go in, we get seated and it's a real local place so there's no English to be seen, no one speaks English and they give us the menu. It's all written in Japanese and so I get Google Translate out. You can take a photo and it translates it it live. Awesome. And there were two choices for us of chicken. Young chicken, according to Google Translate, and old chicken according to Google Translate. Now, I don't know which you would choose between those two. We had an argument for about 10 minutes trying to work out which of the chickens we're going to choose, young chicken or old chicken. And we're having discussions around what do you think young means? Do you think it means, like, the, the age of the chicken? Like, is it, is it, like, how young are we talking? Are we talking a baby chicken? And if it's old chicken, like, how old are we talking? Is it, like, a mangled old, old bird? Is it, is it about how long they've had the chicken? Like, young is, like, fresh... And then the old is like the stuff at the back of the fridge that they haven't used yet. Or are they talking about how they cook it? Like the cooking process, is, is young going to be undercooked and old going to be overcooked? And that was the one that we were most worried about. And so we decided to go with old. And old was a bad choice. Um, it was literally the age of the chicken. It was a mangled old bird. It was the toughest thing. It, the meat wouldn't even come off the bone. It was like fused to the bone. And if you could get anything off, like you couldn't chew it, you just like swallowed it whole. And it was disgusting. But translation from one modern language to another is hard enough. But then you think about that over time, an ancient language, even think about translating one generation to another. Gen Z uses like stupid language like slay and riz and I don't understand it. And they're only 10 years younger than me. And then you think about how words change over time right? So if in the 1950s, if someone said, he's sick, you would think that person is sick, right? But then in the 1990s or early 2000s, if you said, he's sick, like he's awesome. And so it's the same phrase, but it means a different thing. It takes on a very different meaning. And so you see that when we're translating this ancient old language written in a different, different era, different time, it's really hard to translate. And that's why we have so many different Bible translations, right? If you see, if you go to a bookstore or whatever. There are just so many different translations to choose from because there's all these people working at trying to get to the heart of the original language and put it into modern text. And, and we know that, that even language changes over time and so it has to be updated. And so it's really hard. It's really hard it's a, and we're so grateful that we have so many people working on that across the world. There are three kind of main streams of translations, if you kind of ever get confused about this. So the ESV and the New King James, those sort of texts fit in a literal translation. And what they're trying to do is take a word and they're trying to find the closest English equivalent, right? They're just trying to translate it as literally as possible, and, um, which is great. And then they will translate it all and then they'll try and make a sentence structure out of that right? It's a little bit more complicated than that, but they're trying to be as literal as possible. Then there's the dynamic equivalent, that's kind of the middle one, and they try and take a thought, an idea, a sentence, and translate the whole sentence, so it's less going word for word and trying to understand the thought of the sentence and translate it, and then you have a paraphrase, which is just taking the whole idea, and they're trying to to recapture the kind of poetic beauty of the original language. You think about rhyme or structure that doesn't really translate from one language to another really easy. If you're rhyming in a different language, obviously it's not going to rhyme in English. And so they're trying to recreate that kind of poetic beauty of the original text. And all of those are helpful. Some people want to tell you that some are bad and some are good. They're all helpful. It's good for us to read from every stream. Um, And so that's, that's that. If you ever get confused about Bible verses, that's Bible translations, that's it. So understanding genre, walking into the library, understanding that these are ancient texts, um, languages that aren't around today anymore. We have modern versions of those languages. And the other one is context. There's always context in which the Bible is written into. There's a historical context of what was going on in the country at the time, what's the political context, what's coming, going on with the neighboring countries, who wrote it, who was it written to, was there any other communication going on? Um, context can drastically change the meaning of something. And then there's the context within the Bible. How does this piece of Scripture, how does this story fit in with the whole arc of the 66 books of the Bible? So you understand that it is actually really complex. It's really quite hard to read the Bible. There's all these things at play, all these tools that we have to learn and grow. And the best thing is that we don't have to do that alone. We actually get to do it in community. And that's why it's awesome to read the Bible together. We've got our Bible plan starting tomorrow, another one. Um, We're going through Luke and Acts. You can sign up in the QR code. And on the Uversion app, we go through, and people comment every day. And you go, oh, man, that person saw that in that text, and that person saw that. And someone's asking a question about this. It's good to read it together. We also get the advantage of having community across the globe, all different scholars and teachers and pastors. There's a thing called the Bible Project, which I highly recommend. They do, like, little YouTube videos, and they do podcasts that explain different um, books of the Bible. And then we get the community of tradition. We can see how the church has read and interpreted these scriptures and used the kind of analytical approach all through history. How, is, how have different people read this text? And so when it comes to those hard passages and verses, we get the community of our local community of believers, the global, and then the tradition, which is a beautiful thing. But it is complex. It is hard. And... Um, I think the ultimate goal for us is to move through the literal, not to discard it, move through the analytical, not to discard it, but to continue to use that. But ultimately, where we want to get to is the mystical reading of the Bible. Now, people don't like the word mystical because it sounds magical, but it has a long Christian tradition, Christian mystics, they're called. And a Christian mystic is just someone who has an experience of God, someone who experiences God. I love Rich Philotus. He says this, a mystic is someone who takes the radically available presence of God seriously. That the presence of God is available to you, and you take that seriously. That actually I can hear from God. I can meet with God. I can experience the presence of Jesus. A mystic is someone who takes the radically available presence of God seriously. A mystic understands that we are more than just brains on sticks Right? We don't just get stuck in the analytical, just trying to extract all the information, but we can actually experience the living God through Scripture. And that's kind of the end goal. If you are reading Scripture and you're not being reformed, reshaped, changed, challenged, then maybe there is a deeper step for you to take. Does that make sense? We have to move through. Hebrews 4.12, that Scripture that we read at the start, It says, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest sword. Cutting between joint and marrow, sounds painful. Between soul and spirit, that also sounds painful. Exposing our innermost thoughts and desires. Kind of sounds all painful, but it sounds like a scalpel, right? Cutting out the stuff that needs to be cut out, separating the things that need to be separated, creating space. The word of God is powerful. It can shape us and reform us. It's the same word that God spoke when he spoke creation into being, that formed mountains and Orion's belt and our prefrontal cortex. It's the same word that became flesh in John chapter one on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day, as Jesus entered this world and put on flesh. It's the same word that speaks to us through scriptures, that Christians have formed and shaped and carried and stewarded for thousands of years. Words that have weight and power. And if we let it, the word of God can reshape us and reform us, can create space in us. And so the literal approach, again, not a bad approach, but it's, it's, uh, it asks this question, literal asks, what does it say? What does the Bible say? What does this thing say? The analytical approach says, what does it mean? What's going on here? What's the context? What genre is it? How should I be reading this text? How does it fit in with the rest of the Bible? But the mystical approach is saying, what is he saying? What is God saying? And so it's easy to get stuck in the analytical and just go, oh, what does it mean? What is the, what is the original text? And that's all really good stuff. We, we don't want to ever discard that. But the goal is to understand what is the Word of God saying to us today? What is he speaking again to us? So for example, you might take Genesis chapter one. And you might read through a literal reading of, of Genesis chapter one. Um, you can often get to the point where you go, man, the, it says there was six days that God created the world in. He must have created the world in six days. That must have been the exact way that he did it. And that's a very fine way to read the scriptures. But then you can move to the analytical approach. You can ask the question, well, what genre is it? Well, We know from Hebrew that it's, it's actually poetry. The way that it's structured, there's stanzas and it uses the Hebrew alphabet in certain ways and there's little links and things line up. It is like a very well-crafted poem. We know that there is context with the neighboring countries around that they all had their own creation narratives as well. And so this is kind of a response to those creation narratives. And then we can look at in the context of the rest of the Bible and we can see that Genesis one, we have this six day creation account. Genesis two, if you read, there's a completely different creation account. There's no time at all. It's, a, it's another. It's the two creation accounts next to each other. People often forget that. But we see the context of the Bible. That like, oh well, maybe there's not everything meant to be like lined up in exactly how things happened in this scripture. But the goal of that is actually to get to the mystical. To understand as a community and as individuals, what is God saying to us through this? Maybe God isn't just telling us how the world was created, but why. Maybe it's a reminder again that we are made in God's image. The person sitting next to you is made in God's image. The person that you dislike is made in God's image. Maybe it's a reminder that you have purpose. That humans were called to have a relationship with God and to spread out the Garden of Eden. To cultivate, to work the world, to be fruitful and multiply And maybe even today, this is a reminder and the Spirit speaking to you that you do have worth. That you are made in the image of God. That person that you're angry at right now, you're seething, you're playing that conversation over and over, that text message over and over in your head, they are made in the image of God as well. And that you actually have purpose. You might feel like you're purposeless at the moment. Feel like you you don't have the job you want or you're not in the place that you want. And God is saying, you have a purpose. To have a relationship with him, to spread Eden, pockets of new creation all around. So, why do I read the Bible every day? It's a great question. Why would you consider reading the Bible every day? Well, I read the Bible every day because I want to be a mystic. I want to take the radically available presence of God seriously. I want to believe that the God who spoke the Milky Way into creation can use Scripture to speak new life into me. That there is power to the Word of God. That there is a power to a Word from Jesus that can reshape us and change the course of direction and bring us comfort and challenge that can open us up, that can do surgery on our hearts and souls. One of the best ways for me to hear the voice of God is to open Scripture, this thing that's been stewarded for generation after generation after generation in the community of God. There is something powerful and weighty to this book. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's not just information exchange. It's not just getting that new idea or working out the context as as good as that is. I love that. But the word of God is alive and it's powerful. Sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Would you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, I thank you for your scriptures. This weird, old, complex, strange book that has shaped civilizations, caused wars and ended wars, has been wielded in all sorts of harmful ways, but has been used to bring beauty and grace and justice to the world. Thank you for the scriptures that have just shaped so much of what we know, so much of our imagination. God, I pray for us, this community at Greenhouse, that we would be shaped by your words. God, I pray that you would give us a faith to trust when we need to just literally do what the Bible is saying. You would give us a real obedience in you. God, I pray that you would give us the tools and community to learn those analytical approaches of reading the Bible, that we would learn from one another, we would learn from the best in the world, we would learn from tradition around what you're saying, that we can better understand and grapple and ask questions and wrestle with this old ancient book. But beyond that, I pray that we would be people that live as mystics, that we believe in the radically available presence of you, that your spirit is close, and one of the ways that you are close is through your your word, through the scriptures. So I pray that we would become people that are shaped by your words. God, for those of us that have never really engaged with the Bible, may this be an invitation for us to hear your voice. For those of us that have read the Bible every day for the last 40 years, God, I pray that we would be invited into a deeper place, a place that uh, transforms us and shapes us. God, I pray for those of us who are trying to uh, build out a habit or a rhythm, a new practice of engaging with your word. Would you help us? Would you give us the grace to do that? Again, may it be a practice and not a performance. You love us, regardless of what we do, regardless if we ever pick up a Bible. but may the practice of Scripture change us, shape us, turn us into people of love, people in your image, Jesus, that show the truth and the beauty and the goodness of your kingdom. Thank you that your word is powerful and a word from you, Jesus, can shape us and take us in new directions, can open up new ways, can close doors, can move mountains. We pray that this church, this community of believers, this collection of individuals as well, but this community as a collective, would hear your voice. We invite you. In your name.